Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just me. I need a little more life from you guys today. I look up and I thought people would be all like over around and shaking hands. And you're all sitting in your seats like good students. I mean, I appreciate that, but hey, it's okay uh, to let loose a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm excited to be up here today. Uh, uh, I want to shout out to my boy Brian, security, safety and security back there. Thank you, Brian, for you and your team. He, uh, we also joke, I have him come set up my stuff for me so I don't have to carry it. You know, it's, it's a little things that make all the difference. But yes, we do have a safety and security team here. It's important to us, especially when it comes to your children. And so they are watching out all around this building. They make their walkthroughs. Uh, it's no secret. So I'm uh, uh, just so glad for what they do. All right. Um, I want to ask a stupid question today. There are no stupid questions, Tom. Uh, someone's thinking it. No, no, sometimes there are stupid questions, and I'm going to ask you, and this is going to be the dumbest question you've gotten all week. Here it is. He, um, have you ever done something you regretted? That's right. Have you ever done something wrong, just plain wrong, just bad, right? Yeah, you know what? Again, I told you, stupid question. Of course you have. I want you to think about some of those things. I want you to think about the worst thing you ever did. I want you to turn to your neighbor and tell, no, I'm just, I'm just, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, so there, we have many regretful moments in our lives. Um, there's one regretful moment that I'm sure someone wishes they can take back. It happened uh, several months ago, earlier this year. Uh, his name is Will Smith, also known as the Fresh Prince. Some of you know, some of you already know the story. Um, but let me tell it to you uh, so that we are all on the same page. So, so every year, uh, you know, you have the Academy Awards and all of the glitz and glamour of Hollywood show up. And, you know, they are sometimes just guests, but oftentimes they are they are possible recipients of the award. And so that's where Will Smith and his wife, Jada Pinkett Smith, uh, showed up. And um, of course, you know, this is a big deal and they have these famous hosts. And so this year it was Chris Rock, who's a famous comedian. And as comedians do, he's roasting people throughout the night. And then he gets to Jada Pinkett Smith and he says something kind of off base. He, he actually makes a comment about a medical condition that she has. And Will Smith wasn't having it. And so on live TV, he walks up to the stage, and it was the slap heard around the world. He takes his you know, hand, slaps it across Chris Rock's face and says, don't put your name, uh, my wife's name in your mouth. And, of course, all hell broke loose, right? I mean, people started going, like, who knows? It was probably really super uncomfortable in the moment, as you can imagine. 
Uh, what do you do? How do you react? You know, all this kind of thing. And uh, so, you know, of course, the fallout begins from there. Um, the, uh, what is the proper term here? Um, the Academy of Motion Pictures Arts, of Arts and Sciences. So they're the ones that are responsible for that. And they banned him for the next 10 years from attending the ceremonies, from receiving any awards. We've barely heard from him uh, in the last year or so. You know, there's Hollywood gossip out there that says maybe his wife and him, their relationship is on the rocks. I don't know. It's all gossip. But clearly, I think this is a moment that Will Smith wishes he could have back. I actually think it's a moment that Chris Rock wishes he could have back. And clearly, there's an element of cancel culture going on here. Uh, but again, my point here is not to dissect really what happened as much as it is to illustrate that the much-loved and much formerly highly respected Will Smith fell from grace, and he's fallen out of favor, and he's paying a dear price for it. And his membership from the academy has been revoked, and uh, he's been canceled. Pause on that story. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story. I grew up in a Christian house. Uh, my mom and dad, they brought us to church. I have five other brothers and sisters. And so we were, from a pretty young age, pretty well versed in going to church, hearing about God, learning about what he did for us. And on May 31st, 1984, I had a moment where I accepted Jesus into my heart. That was the phrase we used, I accept Jesus into my heart. I made a conscious decision to follow Jesus. And again, it's hard to understand everything that goes on in an eight-year-old child's head, but I will say this. I realized that there was a heaven and a hell, and I wanted to go to heaven. I did not want to go to hell, and so that was a piece of it. I knew that Jesus had this great love for me, this love we just sang about, and I wanted that. And so as sincere as my eight-year-old heart could be, I made this profession of faith. I remember calling my mom in the room. She talked, you know, with me for a little while, and then she went out, and I kind of prayed on my own and received Jesus. It wasn't for a while later. I think it was actually my junior, senior year of high school is when I got baptized. For some reason, I have less memories of that day than I do of coming to Jesus. Um, uh, I don't know where it was. I'm not exactly sure when it was, but I did make that public profession of my faith. But all throughout, like my childhood and junior high and senior high and into college and even beyond, there was something that I wrestled with. There was something that I really couldn't always kind of match up for myself when it came uh, to my faith. And it was this. What if... I'm not good enough. What if I had all these bad things and I just keep doing them and, and I'm just going to fall out of favor with God and he's going to abandon me and get rid of me and not want anything to do with me? 
I wrestled with that. And honestly, I'm guessing that some of you, if not many of you, have wrestled all with this very same question. That we just do things that God says, you know what, that's enough is enough, you're out. I mean, I believed in God. I believed in God as much as an eight-year-old could. I believed that that profession of faith I made was real. I believed it was genuine. I really did want to follow his way, but what happens when you screw up so bad? Would all the things... All those things disqualify me from life with Jesus in eternity in heaven. Is anyone with me on this? Sometimes you feel that way, right? What do we do with that? So here's the cycle that ended up going on in my my mind and in my life. I would screw up. I would sin. And then I would feel guilty about that sin. And then I'd start to feel worried and anxious. And then that really just got me all confused in my head. And then I started to doubt the sincerity of my salvation. And then I would just confess that thing as much as I possibly could. And then I would feel better. And then I would sin. And then I would feel guilty about that sin. And then I'd start to be really worried and get really anxious and confused, and I began to, d- to doubt the sincerity of my salvation. And so then I would confess to God, God, please take that away. I, I don't want to do it anymore. And then I'd feel better for a time. And then I would sin. And that cycle kept going and going and going. And I struggled with it for a long time. And in some ways, probably, even by way of personality, there are probably hints of that still in my life. But the following words of Jesus actually were very significant for me and helped shape me. We're in a series called Verses That Shaped Me. And so Carrie and I have been sharing our own personal experiences and verses that have helped us personally. And hopefully they've helped you, and hopefully it's inspired you to look at what are those really, the ones that have really helped you. And this is, as we close today, I think a really important one. And this was a verse that shaped me. It's John 10, verse 28. It's going to be on the screen. It's going to be online. And it says this. Jesus is talking here. He says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one could snatch them away from me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one could snatch them away from me. And so for a few minutes today, I want to talk about this assurance we can have in our salvation. Some people might call, you may have heard the term, eternal security. I want to talk about that for a few minutes this morning. And and, and this, this message is for those of you who, like me, kind of sin over and over again. This message is for those of you who, like me, sometimes feel guilty Kind of, it's a constant battle for you. Uh, This message is for those of you who feel like maybe you've fallen out of favor with God. Uh, This message is for those of you who believe, but you struggle with anxiety and worry and doubt all throughout your Christian walk and with your faith. 
And honestly, I also think this message is for those of you who would call yourself a doubter, a skeptic, not a Christian. Because I think in the few minutes that I have today, you might hear some words that might surprise you about Jesus. It might surprise you what the Bible has to say about this. So I'm going to get right to it and just jump right in. And I'm going to warn you, I'm going to quote a lot of verses. They will not all be up there. So if you take notes, make sure you write these down. Again, online, if you take notes, you could write, they're right there uh, for you to see. So I'm going to jump right in. What does the Bible have to say about this assurance of salvation, about eternal security, about losing your salvation? Number one, Jesus himself says that nothing can snatch you away from him. Nothing. John 10, 28, I just read it. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them away from me. Number two, the Bible's authors tell us over and over again that nothing can disqualify us and remove us from his love. Nothing. Some of you know this verse. Some of this verse might be for you kind of a life shaper. Romans 8, verse 38 through 39, it says this. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to that, huh? Number three, when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we accept an all-powerful God who cannot lie. I love what Kathy just said up here, that we, that we have a God, she just prayed it, that we have a God who's so big that we can trust you. You know why we can trust him? Because he doesn't lie. Listen to some of these verses in Hebrews. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He's able to do it, first of all. He can save us, okay? He lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. Another passage. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has both given us his promise and his oath, and these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is strong and a trustworthy anchor for our souls. Is that amazing? Last thing, when we accept Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of Christ in us. We talked about these verses a couple months ago, but I'm going to repeat them again. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit who he promised long ago. And the Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. And he did this so we would praise and glorify him. Those are amazing truths that you need to lock into your heart and your mind and your soul. And for me, as I was a kid growing up, I would hear these verses. Now, listen, as a 40-something 
they're more nuanced for me today. But even at that age, I was hearing them, and those were getting into my mind and into my heart. And I was taught that I truly, if you truly believe and accept the work of Jesus on the cross and received that gift of salvation, that you could never lose it. And I believe that to this day. But like I said, the nuances start to creep in. The what-ifs start to creep in. And the doubts start to creep in. And so I began to worry that when I sinned, I would then feel guilty. And I began to worry and have anxiety. And then I would be really, really confused. And then I would start to doubt the sincerity of what I did. And then I would confess everything I could, and hopefully I would make it better, and then I would feel better about myself, and then I would sin. And I struggled with it. And I remember at various points talking to my pastor, who was a great guy. I remember talking to my father-in-law, who's actually sitting in this room somewhere today, and he was actually, the verse, John 10, 28, I remember him sharing that verse with me, and it was very significant for me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them away from me. And it took me years to fully appreciate and realize this truth about assurance. And I would like to present, if you're struggling with this, I want to tell you, I think there needs to be a perspective shift for you. And this perspective shift for me it was like the light went on. And I was reminded of it again recently as I was preparing for this message. And it is the whole crux of the message today. It's actually the whole crux of the songs that we're singing today. You need to get this following perspective shift in your heart and in your mind. And here it is. I feel like sometimes we think becoming a Christian is like we signed up for something. We joined the club. We become a member. We are now a member, a member of the Academy of Arts and Science and Motion Pictures or whatever that is. And at the same time, we're a member to God. We've joined up. We've joined in. We've signed up. Team Jesus. And we get perks of being a member, like eternal life. But here's the thing. When you join a club, or you become a member of a club, if you don't live by the rules, you get booted from the club. Right? You kind of sign up for like, this is agreement. This is the agreement between me and you. And if you mess up, yeah, you're going to get booted. Just like Will Smith did. Screw, uh, when we screw up, our membership can be revoked. Canceled. But here's the shift we need to make in our mind. This is very important. Track with me. That this whole deal of becoming a Christian has nothing to do with us at all. And stay with me. We didn't do anything. We didn't earn anything. We didn't join the club when we prayed the prayer to accept Jesus. 
something very different happened. And here's the main point I want you to get today. Write it down. It's going to be on the screen. You didn't join a club when you became a Christian. You were born into a family. That is a huge perspective shift for some of you right now. And it's going to sit with you. And it's got to sit with you this week. You didn't join a club. You were born into a family. You're not just a changed person. You are a new person. Being a Christian is not about being a member of a club. When you break the rules of the club, you lose your membership. But family, family is different. You are born. When you become a Christian, you are born into God's family. And when you're born into something, that never changes. It never changes. Being a child, here's let me say it this way. Being a child is very different than being a member. Do you feel me on that? Being a child is very different than being a part or a member of something. You don't join a family. Your parents bring you into this world on their own accord. Or if you were adopted, your parents chose you. And when you look at the Bible in this way, and when you think about your salvation, your whole perspective begins to shift. Let's look at some famous chapters really quickly. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, you remember the story where this guy named Nicodemus comes and he has this conversation with Jesus? By the way, that's that same passage, uh, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Same one. And what did Jesus tell Nicodemus? And it confused him. By the way, this guy was smart. He was a teacher, okay? He was one of the elite. He had a hard time with this concept. And what did Jesus tell him? You must be born again. That was significant. Or maybe this, this parable that Jesus taught in Luke chapter 15. And we have this father, we have this family, this father and a couple sons. And the son decided, I want out. I'm leaving the family. I'm leaving, I'm going to start my own. And so give me what I deserve, because the oldest received the inheritance in that culture. And so, you know what? He took his inheritance and he left. And you guys know the story. He went, he did his own thing, he screwed up. And he got to the point, he got so low in his life, he did not know what else to do. It was the very last straw. He had no money, he had no friends, he had no hope left. His only hope was to try to find a way that he could live and survive. And the only way he knew how to do that was to go back home. And he said to his, he was saying in his brain, he was like, I'm not even worthy to be called a son, I'm just going to go up and go there and work for my family on the farm. But the beauty of that story is that when that poor, sad soul was walking down the road, what did the father do? The father went and ran with open arms, did not care about the details. Because why? He was family. And there was nothing 
that he could have done to change that. A father's love for his kids. A father's love for his son. I don't care where you've gone. I don't care what you've done. I love you that much. We see this imagery all throughout Scripture. We are children of the Father. And the Father's overwhelming love for us never runs out. See, I believe Jesus knew he would struggle with this. I think the biblical writers knew that we would struggle with this. And there's a ton written about it. John, where, uh, John 10, 28, is that same guy. He wrote a second book called First John. Not super creative, but it works. It's the truth. So John says in his book that he wrote, the one called John, he goes, I wrote all this, I wrote all this, uh, so that you may continue to believe, continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. But then he goes and writes another book, and he goes, the reason why I wrote this book to you, for those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God, is so that you may know that you have eternal life. So if you want to really read about whether or not you can lose your salvation, I encourage you to go to 1 John and read it because the author himself says, this is the whole reason why I wrote this book. So that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have safety and security in Jesus and that you can trust him and he does not lie. Peter Talks about it too. He says, all praise to the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. There it is. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance. As children, we have inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. And actually what's interesting about that passage, he goes on and talks about all the trials and the temptations that we're going to come up against in this life. And he says, it's still secure and sure. So Tom, are you saying that there's nothing I can do to fall out of favor with God and lose my salvation that I have in him? That's right. As a child of the Father, we never have to worry about being disowned or canceled. Ever. But Tom, can we do anything we want and not have to worry about that? Well, not exactly. The Bible tells us in John and 1 John that being a Christian means there's some kind of movement happening in your life. That you are growing and changing in your life. Now we know we're all still sinners. None of us are perfect. We all know because we already answered the dumb question I asked in the beginning. But there is a problem if we just keep willfully sinning 
and denying and going against God. If we have complete disregard for his word, we have dis, dis, uh, complete disregard for what he says by his standards. And I think it logically follows that one can assume um, that, that commitment or acceptance of God, was it really real? And that's, I think, the slight thing I want you to think about. It's not that we lose our salvation, but I want, to, I want to push back and say, if you just have complete disregard and you're living your life according to your own rules in your own way and you're not growing and you're not changing, was that really real? You see, a true saving faith um, is, is a faith, is an abiding faith. That's, a, that's actually a picture that uh, Jesus uses. I'm going to read that verse to you. It says, remain in me. This is Jesus talking, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. And here, 1 John, again, cuts right to the chase. We're lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth then. But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son, cleanses us from all sin. He goes on to say, and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandment, that person is a liar and living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. And that is how we know we are living in him. Some people might claim it and say, yep, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you're just doing it and you're looking at it like, I don't, really, I don't get it. I don't see. And, you know, again, in the Bible, it's a special kind of category. Some people claim to know God, but they deny him by the way they live. I have more there, but I'm going to stop there. You see, a true saving faith is one that you are going to abide in and you're going to grow in and you're going to keep learning in. And here's the thing, here's the problem with church. For those of you pe people who are already thinking it, you know, yeah, church people, whatever, the truth is, is we have, this is where the church has screwed up. We expect people to change just overnight and then all of a sudden, hey, yep, this is, this is what, it's all become like these, about these rules. That is not ever, ever in scripture and never the heart of the Bible. But we need to be growing and moving and abiding and maturing. And how do we do that? How do we do that? Come on, how do we do that? We do that by developing habits in our life, Right? Good habits in our life. We have to set up these boundaries, these, these ways that we can connect with God. And here, some of you, maybe prayer is your thing, and that's an easy one for you. For others, that's really, really hard. Like, I struggle with that one. I would rather go and read the Bible. I have a hard, an easier time with that. I have a harder time with prayer. But that's another one where you're growing in Scripture. You're feeding God's Word into your soul. What's another one? What we're doing right now. Getting together in church community, doing life with each other. I've said it once, I've said it a thousand times. I have never grown so much with my, in my faith until I got around other people. That's why Sunday mornings aren't enough, people. If I'm just speaking to you and you're not interacting with that, 
You know what? That's why we do life groups because we get people in circles, not rows. We get people in circles to be able to discuss. And, it, and it, I, I guarantee you, it will challenge you and it will push you. Some of you are starting life groups this week. Some of you started last week. It's going to push you and it's going to stretch you. You're not going to want to open up until you begin to trust. But yeah, Christians grow and they move and they abide. So, are you struggling about whether or not you can truly be a Christian because of your messed up, broken life and all the things that you think are going to get in the way of you in God? Well, I would just say, I hope that you've been encouraged today by what Scripture says and what Jesus himself says, that he pursues you with unending love that never fails. And nothing and no one can snatch you from him. Nothing and no one. Maybe you prayed a prayer once. Maybe you would call yourself a Christian, but you know that you are not abiding in Jesus. You're not growing like you should, and you know it. Maybe today, pushing you just a little bit. It's critical. It's critical that you take that seriously. Otherwise, why are you here? <laughs> Lastly, maybe today, for the first time maybe, you're taking a serious look at your own heart and life and wondering if you've ever really truly committed to Jesus. Maybe you're watching online and this is the first time you've ever heard something about it because you're not gonna step foot in a church building. And I'm hoping that my words today, as inadequate as they may be, that God will take them and spark something in your life and say, you know what, I can't live without him. And if you're in that category, I'm gonna just take the last minute or two that I have and I'm gonna tell you what your next step might look like. First of all, your faith is between you and God, not between you and me or you and this church or anything else. It is between you and Jesus alone. And you have, and, and this is how I often explain it. I just use, it's, there's ABCs here. It's a way, good way to think about it. A, admit that you need help. Admit that you're a sinner. I think most of you in that first question I asked would say, yeah, I've messed up. I've done stuff wrong. It doesn't matter how little or how big. Don't get into like whether my, you know, goodness will outweigh my badness. That's not it. Once we're, once we're infected, we're, we're fully infected, right? So we have to just admit that. The second thing is the B, believe. Believe in the work that Jesus did on the cross for you. Believe that he has the power to save you from the sin and to wipe it completely clean. Believe, like Kathy said, that he tells the truth about who he is and about that he has gone to prepare a place for us in an eternal place called heaven. And C, and there really could be two C's here, so I'm going to cheat and use both. You want to confess that Jesus is Lord, that he is now the God of your life. Confess your sins. Say, I cannot do it on my own. I am confessing you as Lord. And the other C is commit. Commit to following his way. Commit to him. Admit, believe, and confess and commit. Those are the steps. And you don't have to pray a certain prayer. It does not have to sound a certain way. 
You should use your terms and what's meaningful for you. Just like in my experience on May 31st, 1984, those were my words in my commitment, in my sincerity. And that's what God wants most from you. So in this moment, I'm just gonna have us close our eyes and bow our heads. And I'm gonna leave about a minute of space here for you on your own and in your words to pray to God. I know that we have people here that are on all different parts of their journey. So whether you're struggling, whether you wanna recommit or you wanna commit to the first time, take this moment and use these words. God, I admit to you that I'm a sinner and I need help. And I believe in the work that you did for me and, and I believe in your love and your grace and your mercy for me, the sinner that I am. And so I confess and commit to you my life from here on out. I will not be perfect. This will be a journey. I'm gonna struggle, but I know that no one and nothing can snatch me out of your hand. I have felt um, such conviction to preach this message this week. It's a little out of kind of my wheelhouse, a little out of my normal style, but it's so important. This is, this could be the most important decision you make. Or about just recommitting to God and saying, God, I know I've doubted you. I know I have not lived up. I say that I'm a Christian and my deeds don't match up. Some of you need the assurance today. You say, I, I truly and sincerely believe in God and I follow him with my life, but I just keep messing up. Be encouraged today. Lord, whatever you want to do in this moment, you take it. You make it personal for people in their lives. We once again commit our love to you. And we thank you that you do not lie. And we thank you that you run to us with open arms, no matter how far we've strayed. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna close with a song and you'll see why we're gonna sing it in a second. Some of you just need to sit. Some of you might wanna stand. Some of you may need to kneel. You could do whatever you want. Just as long as it's between you and God, I would also say at the end of the service, we're always, like we always do, we have people here who are ready and willing to talk with you. Maybe you are questioning kind of where you're at. Come talk with someone about that. But let's just take this next five, six minutes or so and just truly you and God, it's you and God. And let's celebrate him 
as the one who keeps us.